thank Adam for leading us through that time of prayer. That is a special time for our body <coughs> to also know what's happening among each other and to bring it before the Lord. I really hope we see ourselves as one body, one body that is serving the Lord together, praying and serving in a way that shows that we love the Lord more than anything else. I thank Jackie and Adam and Carol for leading us to worship this morning. One of the songs we were singing was about really understanding the worthiness of what Christ has done. One of the commentaries I was reading this week reminded me that we just don't sing here on this earth, but in heaven we'll be reminded we're going to continue to sing about what Christ has done. Not just our ticket into heaven, but we're reminded for eternity to continually sing over and over about Christ's work and what he's done there. You that are really observant, I notice there's some differences on the stage. For instance, this cross used to be the opposite. It really used to face against the wall. And if you're really observant, you'll see in the bottom right-hand corner of this cross are the college students actually made this. Many years ago, the college students saw our sanctuary. They said, you know what, we need um, to have a little more decorated these pictures in the back. Um, just have some things hanging on the windows, and this cross is made by the CMU students. But it's actually designed to be this way. And so when you look at it this way, you can actually see the wood out, and you see the signatures of the students that made it. Uh, same people, which is Joe, Jay, Shavo, Jimmy, Diane, um, Mike, and Jonathan, were painting all these columns that used to have paint on them. So they were staying after service while we were having snacks and other things. They came, they painted, they scraped all the columns and painted it. So, Things that happen in our community, I want you to be aware about that they're giving back to the church. I'm very thankful for their service. <coughs> the people they're serving, oh, too many. This is a retreat you might not recognize. This is an inner varsity retreat where Francis Chen Young and <coughs> actually went to serve as worship leaders for this retreat. They don't really have anything to do with our church or separate fellowship, but these guys said, you know what, they have a need, they're going to serve the community. So I'm very thankful that our young people just don't think about what helps ourselves, but actually serving in a varsity and other fellowships. Uh, if you came Friday, you know what was happening here at the church. Um, our cell groups here, our prize group, our ACF team, and serve the young children. It's a big mess here. Adam's uh, still cleaning it up upstairs. There's so much things to clean up there. But thank you for all the work there. Uh, here's more people doing cotton candy. A photo booth there. Very creative uh, the way that they design some of the games. If you're brave enough, you can stick your head through it. The little kids <coughs> have really good arms, actually. The sponges full of water. And the uh, most important part of the night, Adam brought them into the room and he shared the gospel. Cut open a pumpkin. We got all the guests the pumpkin said this is like sin. To get you stuff on a table and tell only Christ. Cleanse us from all that inside ourselves. So here the architects of the whole night. Very thankful for this. We look very closely. This uh, was not designed by Adam. Uh, this was designed by Louise. So you can see the color scheme, the color that is Louise. That is her skill. She's excellent at designing these type of things. So remember, uh, not only our adults here, but the little ones that Christ loves. Me too. Love time. So glad that I don't organize this because I probably would kill some of those kids up there. But we have Adam and Louise who love the children very much and they pour their hearts very thankful for the way they love the children. Okay, so 
Um, before you start, John, I always like to ask this. If you don't have a John journal, please raise your hand. This is our gift to you. If this visiting day, it's fine. Our ushers have some for you. Um, they're journals, so we'd like you to take those in and take it home with you. You come visit us again. If you don't have a journal, raise your hand, please. Please raise your hand. Anyone who does not have a journal, please journal. Okay, so you're expecting to take very good notes today in your journals. Okay. Let's go into John. Let's stand together and read from John 1. Okay, three. John was standing and was two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus turned and said to them, What are you seeing? And he said to them, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. One of the two followed Jesus was Andrew, my son, and he was Nazareth. We're going to 
study it, when you run into Christ, when you have Christ's presence in your life, you will find it's a life-changing event. A life-changing event for Andrew, a life-changing event for Peter, a life-changing event for Philip, a life-changing event for Nathaniel. And then next week, you guys are so happy, we're going to be out of chapter one, and we're actually going into the water train of life. We're going to start chapter two, so this is your last chance to take notes on chapter one, and we're going to chapter two. So, that's kind of where we are. But today, in today's message, we're going to talk about this, a life-changing experience of becoming Christ. Whenever you encounter Christ, when any person in Christ, excuse me, any person in New Testament encounters Christ, your life is changed forever. We're going to study that today. We're going to study how it affects each one of us. So if you can join us later today for our White Harvest, which we'll uh, discuss today's sermon, I want you to start thinking, what has changed your life? What do you think in your life has happened you're never the same thing? What change? So I started thinking in my life uh, what that change would be. It's a life-changing experience in my life that forever altered who I am. And you guys are thinking, what happened in the words of life that could change them, that made him who he is today? And it happened in second grade. In second grade, <clears throat> my parents told me, I'm going to take you out for your birthday to buy you a present. I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, but it was a big present, because the biggest thing I think I got at that point, they said, we're going to go to the Schwinn dealer, and we're going to buy you a bike. I was like, wow, this is really, really exciting. I'd never really been to the Schwinn dealer before. There's all these bikes on the floor. And I knew the one I wanted. It's a Schwinn Stingray with a banana seat. And this was the bike to have. Everyone else in the neighborhood that had a bike, this was the bike to have. And I said, that's it. I see it. That's the one I want. And so the salesman came and said, sure, I'd get you this bike. But we don't have that particular model available right now. The one that we can get you today is a little different bike with a single seat. Like the kind of you guys ride every day in the single seat. But that was not the cool seat. I did not want that seat. I said, but I want the one with the banana seat. And the guy said, well, you're going to have to wait till next Saturday to get that bike. I was like, I have to wait a whole week for the bike of my dreams, the thing I've been dreaming about, the bike that every other kid had that I didn't have. And so it was a life-defining moment. And I said, I'm going to wait. I will wait for the bike that I want. So I waited a week, which felt like a year. And finally, my bike came next week. And I learned about delayed gratification. Something early on in my life that if I wait and I delay what I want right now, I could have had the bike right then and there, but it wasn't the one I wanted. And God taught me a very life-changing experience at that point that waiting is good. Delayed gratification is good. But secondly, as I began riding my new bike around my drive to circle, I'll 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 circle, one of my neighbors who lived up on a hill saw me and said, hey, Gordon, I can show you where to ride the bike outside of your driveway. I didn't know I could go anywhere else besides my driveway. My mom told me I was forbidden to ride on the road right in front of my house, which is a pretty busy street. And without disobeying my mom, he told me there's houses we can cut through, gates we can cut through, driveways we can cut through, we can go down a side street and get to the drugstore where all the candy is. And he taught me how to go through all these neighbor's yards and do this, and he became a very important friend to me in second grade. And we would ride bikes through the woods, got as far as the mall, and he would take me all these different places where I'd never been before, and we became very good friends. Second grade, third grade, all the way up to fifth grade, he was my best friend. 
and it was really interesting that all the things that I did not know, how to play football, how to play baseball, how to you know, cut through these illegal places to go, and that's why all the places we've gone, it was really interesting because it was a life-changing experience. Uh, so as a young second grader, I would say my identity had now changed. Where my world was very small, confined to my driveway, now I realized, oh, I'm going to start with it. It's very interesting. I will tell you one of the illegal things that we did. Um, this is a North Alabama school school. They built their schools with these flat roofs. Well, we have problems with this church because our roof is flat to get water. And so my friend Gary said, we can bike to my elementary school, which is over the hill turn called Knight Elementary. It's near the library. And we bike to all these people's yards illegally on some grass to school. And I said, oh, what are we going to do? We ran around the playground. I said, no, we can go up on the roof. Then you go up on the roof? I said, wow, it's really interesting. We used our bikes as ladders, and we kind of made a uh, makeshift ladder. We climbed up on the roof. And we're walking around the roof. The most important thing I think I ever found was these kickballs from recess. Like all these kids had kickballs on the roof. The school just buy new ones, and we found five kickballs. It was like a treasure, like we had never found before. And I was like, man, we took all these, you know, kickballs, and we're, we're trying to ride home with them. You're like, man, this is the best thing ever. And it was really, again, a life-changing experience. Do something illegal, climb on these roofs, and these things. It was really something that opened up my world uh, to all kinds of different things. That I want you to think about that because some of you have that experience when you got married. You got married. You know what? This is changing more than anything. Just this husband and this wife have shaped the world more than anything else. Some of you have children. You say, you know what? This path, like it or not, has changed my life more than anything else in my life. Okay? Some of you in school were finding that out. School has changed me more than anything else. My job has changed me more than anything else. You've had a life changing experience. I want you to think about that. Has that happened as you encountered Christ? Has Christ changed you in a way that the world is never the same? Have I met the person of Christ? Can I understand what he stands for and what he's done for me? And the sacrifice he's made. And now my life can be the same. It's the same thing for Christ. I want to challenge you today that nothing else will change you more than an encounter with Meet the person of Christ. There's nothing else that will change you. Let's take a look at today's passage. This is what we're studying. Jesus turned, this is Andrew and another disciple following John the Baptist, and Solomon following and said to them, What are you seeing? I mean, this is a whole sermon all by itself. What are you seeing? If you're honest with yourself and you're really willing to look deep in your heart, you realize that you're not going to be. Really honest. There's an emptiness there. There's a darkness there. There's a shame there. There's something the world can't offer. As much as you've achieved, all of you've achieved more. All of you've gotten up into the pinnacle of where you are as a student or as a professional. And you still look back and say, well, I'm still seeking something. Something more. And, and that's where the world gets us, right? Because we're never satisfied. Your car's not good enough, your house is not good enough, even your stuff's not good enough. You trade all these things in. That's what our world is teaching. More, more, more. There's some kind of emptiness in our heart. And Christ knew that. He put these two guys, he went right to the heart of the issue. He said, What are you seeking? There's an emptiness that Christ knew that they had. First time he met them, right? But he knew that there's an emptiness. <clears throat> we read from Paul Walsh, 
he writes very interesting. We are empty for all the reasons Jesus never was. He was often tired, hungry, misunderstood, persecuted, and abandoned, but he was never empty. The Western Christian is empty because he's full of the world, absorbed in himself, given to the doing of his own will. This is interesting. To move from emptiness to true fullness will require a drastic shift from self to God, from self-will to his power. Isn't that interesting? That Christ knew these guys are seeking something. There's an emptiness here. The world can't There's an emptiness here that as much as you've achieved, it's never going to satisfy Christ. The typical disciple fashion, Christ asks them probably like, this is the, I'm going to give you the meaning of the universe. How do the disciples respond? This is a very typical disciples response. Hey, where are you staying? Where's your Airbnb? Where's your hotel? But they totally miss exactly Christ is going to give them the key to, to, to life. And they're like, well, we just want to see where you live. We just want to see your house. So Christ puts up with them, and he must have had an incredible conversation. Christ has to come and we'll see. And they spend the day together. He's like, come and you will see. It's very interesting because Christ overlooks their ignorance. Christ overlooks their stupidity as disciples don't want to say and do stupid things. Well, I'm going to, you're going to come with me, and you're going to see something. You're going to see on a physical level, you see something completely different that will change your world. Your world will never be the same. You come and follow me, and I will change your life, this life experience. Now, this is typical Christ, isn't it? Christ is saying one thing, and he always means something. Let's just jump ahead to John 3. We'll get to it in a month or so. But he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is there, and he's like, I know, I know you must be sent from God. I know you, there's something here, there's something special. I know what you do, and you're going to And you may think, oh, teacher, you're smart. I mean, Christ said, you know what? You need more theology. You need more degrees. You need more knowledge. That's what the world would say. Let me give you another degree. Let me give you another PhD master's. But instead, Christ brings into a development session most people want to get to study this painful. And the first word, and the first one who gave physical birth after that same person gets spiritual birth. He uses a very interesting word. He's bringing it in deeper into something that he didn't have. A much deeper meaning. Where Nicodemus thinking, you know, can teach me some deeper truths. Christ says, you know, you have to be born again. And you can only get that birth through me. You can't go anywhere else. When you encounter Christ, he brings you into his presence. There's no self-help programs, there's no self-esteem programs. There's nothing else but Christ himself. So if you come to me, come to me, be born again. Same thing as the woman at the well. The woman at the well, she was destitute, she was, uh, I can't remember if she was on her fifth or fourth or fifth husband, possibly, lover, living with someone else. Christ says, you know what, you need a better self-esteem. you got to keep sleeping, you got to stop sleeping around. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about yourself. It doesn't you know what you need. You need living water. You need something that no one else can do. You need me. I'm going to draw you into my presence. So when you meet Christ, like you need self-help programs, trying to make you better, he's actually saying, you know what? You need one thing, and you need me. Come, and you will see. So even in this passage, 
Christ is doing something very interesting. I'm going to drop you to the last verse of the chapter. And we'll get a chance to read it with you together. But if you look at verse 51, let's look together. If you guys look in your journals, you'll see it. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So initially he says, Come and you will see. You're going to see. You're going to see what I'm saying, but I'm going to teach you something much deeper. And just a few verses later in the chapter, what does he say? You will see heaven open. Wow. You know, we already saw the Trinity. We already saw God say, This is my Son in whom well please. We saw the Holy Spirit come down. We saw Christ there. I'm going to show you something even better. You're going to see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see the only way to get to heaven. You're going to see the only bridge that will allow us as sinners with this emptiness to achieve fulfillment. This is the only way that you're going to be complete. This is the only way to do it. And Christ says, this is it. You're going to see it. And of course, the disciples didn't know what he's talking about, but everyone in Israel would know something. What does this remind you of? Sending, sending, you guys remember where? Where? Jacob. Jacob's ladder, right? And so Christ says, you're going to see angels descending and descending. He's automatically reminding them of Genesis 28. Remember Jacob? What you guys called your father when you were uh, patriarchs? And he was passing through Bethel. He had to put this rock under his head and he slept there. He had this dream of these angels coming up. I had this great dream. I didn't know God was here. I was saying this place, Bethel, was originally called Luz, what we're going to call it Bethel now. And, and, and all the way back in Genesis 28, Christ is saying, you know what? I'm foreshadowed. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to teach you something different. You guys have been studying Genesis 28 for your whole lives, ever since you're little kids. But I'm going to tell you something deeper. I'm going to show you something deeper. All that stuff you're studying in the Old Testament, in, in the Pentateuch, is about me. Christ. I'm bringing you into my presence. I'm teaching you you have to come to Christ. And Christ is opening up your eyes. Christ a really different way to come, in, come and see. Look, you've been learning about me your whole life. Christ is drawing them into his presence. Now this is me. I didn't get this out in commentary, so if I'm wrong, you guys correct me. But this is the snap. Earlier I quoted John the Baptizing right across um, Bethany, across the Jordan. Probably the same place where Joshua crossed over the Jordan with the Israelites. The place where Christ is baptized. The same place where the Israelites cross into the Promised Land. Now this place here, Bethany, where this happened, this ascending to the Son of Man, is probably very close to where John is. This is the next day after, um, not after his baptism, but after John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Most likely they're right in this region. So the very area where Jacob had the street was very close, if not the place, where Christ said, you're going to see the heavens open and the angels descending and descending on a son of man. Isn't it interesting that God didn't forget? Jacob, the very place where I'm giving you this vision, someday the fulfillment of your vision is going to come personally from Christ. He's going to do it in the same place where I'm giving you this vision. Very interesting. You guys are understanding scripture now in a deeper way than maybe ever intended uh, maybe thought before. Okay, so let's go on in our passage where you guys read this morning. We covered this part to come and you'll see. What's he saying next? Uh, then he found his brother Simon and said, So this is Andrew going back and finding the brother Simon. Don't overlook something 
that is so interesting about this verse. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him. He goes back, and this is what we call household salvation, where one person comes to Christ, and I hope you see this in your own household. You come to Christ, you come home, and you get your hoopla, you get your sister, you get your brother, you get your mom or your dad, and they come, and the family comes to Christ. When the family comes to Christ, oftentimes we see the tribe come to Christ, often we see the city come to Christ. God works with household salvation. When we are faithful and careful to bring Christ back home, we often find it changes our family, changes the whole dynamic the whole village. And so he gets Andrew. I'm sorry, Andrew gets the brother Simon. What's he say? We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. What's very important is we go back home as we go and share with people that we love. What kind of testimony are you bringing back home? If you went back home right now and told your family something, is your character trustworthy? Is your character like, man, I see how this person's life has changed, and I'd like to follow that person to Christ. Or to say, you know what? I know my son. I know my sister. I wouldn't believe a word she says. I wouldn't trust anything that he's done. That your your character is so muddy at home, they wouldn't believe. Or is it just the opposite? You're a man or a woman of character. You tell your mom and dad. You tell your sister. I found the most important thing. It changed my life. There's nothing in your character that they would hold against you. Man, I want to be like her. I want to find what he got. Man, their life has changed because they found Christ. And your family would know better than anyone else what your character's like. So Andrew, when he goes home, gets probably the biggest fish he's ever going to catch. His brother Simon Peter, who really changes, right? Almost the New Testament church. Outside of Paul, I don't know a greater apostle. He gets the biggest fish. He brings Simon Peter to Christ. He comes because I think Andrew is a good character. You guys remember who else Andrew brings to Christ? You guys remember? Remember who else? Little boy, right? Two fish, five loaves, brings that person to Christ. Later he brings another group of people to Christ. Some Greeks he brings to Christ later. Andrew's always bringing people to Christ. He's a good character. Hey, I found something good. I'm bringing you along. I pray that your character is the same. It's the same. So when people hear what you're saying, your testimony is consistent. Okay, so this is a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we were going over what's one of the most important things you can do in your life. During that sermon, we wrestled with some of the most important things that you will do in your life. And spiritually, I talked to best and in life. A very simple phrase I gave you. A simple thing you need to do. Come to church with me. Come to church with me. It's a very simple thing. Having a hard time in your work, you sound very lonely and depressed. If someone that uh, looking for guidance, come with me in my sober. Come with me in my fellowship. Come with me in my church. Bring them into the presence of Christ. And I said, if you use your you can change your life by saying, you know what? I'm going to come in a journey with you. I'm sit with you and get through this together. I will come on this journey with you. I'm going to push you one step more if you're listening to today's sermon. What you're going to say next is, let's find Christ together. So you're bringing someone into God's presence. You're going to walk the journey with them. 
And now we kind of conclude it, bringing them to the person of Christ. Let's study God's word together. Let's go over that sermon together. Let's go over these notes together. Let's go over uh, the Bible study, which we studied on Friday. Let's dig into God's word and find Christ together. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to walk this journey. Doesn't have to be too hard, but we're going to step, step by step. Come, write them in your presence, walk the journey with them, and now introduce them to Christ. The person that's changed your life the most. The person that you will never be the same person if you're going to introduce them to that same person in Christ. As you have found that in your life, you will share that with the person. Again, I'm going to go back to Paul Washington. He says something very interesting about this. This way of life will require great courage. You must be willing to stand and tell men and women that they are fundamentally and radically wrong in their search for significance, self-esteem, and self-realization. Isn't that interesting? We're going against the face of culture which tells us it's deep inside you. You just have to look deep inside you and get your self-esteem up. Christ never says that. It's not about our self-esteem. It's not about our self-actualization. Bless you. You must defy all attempts at getting the most out of Jesus, finding a purpose and purpose, or attaining the best life now. You must not adopt the world's view and then tweak it to make it Christian. You must draw a line and stand firm in the radical teaching of Christ and his gospel. You must preach the truth and be examples of the truth we preach. And here's Philippians 3. We must count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of the knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and count them as rubbish that we may gain Christ and be found in Him. Isn't that interesting? We're all searching for that self-esteem and that, and that job or that mate or, or that degree to fulfill our heart. And Christ saying, you know what? It's all rubbish that we may gain Christ and be found in Him. We truly understand what Christ is offering us, this living water, this being born again, presence of who he is, everything else compels and compares. Nothing else compares. And that's what he's saying. Come and see. Are you going to see? Has your life been changed? Are you like Andrew that there's something valuable in your life when people see it like, yeah, I want that. Or are we chasing the things that are fundamentally wrong? Search for significant self-esteem and self-realization. Completely going against today's culture. Christ's gospel always goes against culture. And let me assure you, if we absorb the culture, and we try to market ourselves like the culture, we have nothing special. We're just like everyone else. If we stand firm on the gospel, say it's Christ and Christ alone that changes our life, we will offer something so different than the culture, it will have to come to us at once. It's not offered anywhere else. We're radical and we're different. We're not completely correct, unfortunately. We, we don't make friends this way. Become disciples of Christ this way. Saying you have to come to Christ. There's no other way. I wish there were. I wish there were other ways, but there's not. You have to come to Christ. Um, over Christmas, Julie and I uh, had a chance to speak at one of the Epic conferences. Epic is a campus crusade conference um, for Asian Americans. And I said, okay, Gordon, you are a parent. We're starting to invite high schoolers, we're starting to invite parents. We want you to speak to the parents of the um, college students, uh, speak to our leaders who have children. We want you to give your perspective on parenting for our epic conference. 
says, okay, I think I can do that. And so you're fleshing out with this um, a Google Hangout, one of those Google Hangouts. And, and the leaders, there's like four of the leaders at the conference, and myself, I don't know why I'm there, these leaders are the national leaders. And we're fleshing out, okay, Gordon, what are you going to talk about? How are you going to talk about? We're, we're going through my presentation, and going through it. And finally, I get to the point where I said, you know what? I'll boil it down for you very simply. As a parent, my job is not necessarily to lecture and to berate and to shame and to continually make my children bend them to my will and force them to what I want them to do. I want them to come to church. I want them to love God. I want them to have a deep passion for Christ. Right? And so they didn't quiet. I said, well, then, Gordon, how are you going to do it? I said, it's very simple for Julie and I. Model, we have to live it. And what's interesting because when I talk to the college kids, especially the college kids that aren't interested in church, I said, Why is it that you're not interested in church? And they, and they said, Almost invariably, because I saw what it did to my parents. It's like, Why did church do to your parents? <laughs> and, and they said, You know, Gordon, when I come to church, you know, we're arguing, we're fighting, we have this fight, but when you get to church, it's all smiles. It's wonderful. For two hours, we are the perfect family. We hold hands, everything's wonderful. We get back in the car, we're fighting again, and there's arguments, and we know it's a sham. We know mom and dad don't live out what we believe in. Why, as a young person, would I want to go to that kind of church? Why would I want to waste my Sunday doing that? I don't want anything to do with that. Those hypocrites have nothing to do with it. And it began to sink in as I worked with college kids that for my family, if Julie and I are not living out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and demonstrating and sharing our love and modeling for them, why would they want to waste their time in church? Why would they want to go to the same place and become the same hypocrites that their parents are? So again, sharing with the epic leaders, parents have to model what it is to be a Christian. What a man looks like, what a woman looks like, what a husband looks like, what a father looks like, what a mom or wife looks like. It's not models demonstrated why did it? it didn't change your life? Why would it change your kids' life? So there's a moment of silence and the nerves are all this and like, okay, okay. Like, so we're, that's what we're going to teach modeling. We're with you. This is good. Let's get some examples of how that works. We want some living, living, breathing people that can testify that. And so that's the issue. And I'm telling you the truth here that these guys came up with zero names. Four leaders across the nation of this type of conference. You can't think of any they could come up on stage with you and testify that this is the truth. So what I was hearing here, and some of these guys are parents and their children said, my kids can do it, I can get my kids up there, I can. And so we went around and everyone said, no, I, I, zero, zero names. And, and I'm saying this now because my children are here, so I said, well, I can think of two children, Lydia and Abby, who'd be willing to come up on stage. And I'm asking them, I'm kind of telling them because I didn't give them any warning about this, but I can get them up on stage. I said, really? You get your kids to come up? And I said, yeah, Julie and I would leave the room, and then you guys can ask them whatever questions you want, and probe about them, and ask them what great or terrible parents who were. We won't say anything. Like, really? You do that? And I said, yeah, I would do that. And now I'm asking them, Lydia and Abby, if you're willing to go, we can go to this epic conference and do this over Christmas. But it was what was shocking to me, was shocking to me that among these leaders, they couldn't think of any one of their children. They couldn't think of any examples of any children that their parents modeled a life-changing experience that changed their kids' lives. That was shocking. And we ended the video call and I came home and told Julie, I said, Julie, it's a very interesting state that we're in. That the parents want the kids to be these things, but we don't have the parents' mind. 
times one. So, take a sermon about life-changing experiences. If you come to Christ, it better change your life. But if it change your life, it better change your family's life. It better change your brother's life. It better change your sister's life. It better change everyone around you. Why do it? If it didn't change your life, why would anyone else want? God, do you have to change your life? <clears throat> okay, I just had a few last things to finish off the chapter. Okay, Ron Simon, um, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Um, you guys that know scripture know they change from pebble, which is like a little rock, a Simon by this little pebble, and they change it to a big rock. Uh, Cephas, the Greek word for rock, on which I will build my church. Peter makes no possibilities. They change when we follow Christ. Uh, one of the few things that Peter does that we see, at least in the Gospels, really amazing, is that he doesn't argue with Christ and say something stupid. He goes, okay, okay. Petra, that's me, I'll follow, I'll follow Christ. It's a good thing. Because his obedience in this case combined with God's faithfulness, and he does great things through Peter. He followed, he didn't argue with Christ. He didn't say, I want to change my name, I don't want to follow you. He said, you know what, I'll just follow whatever Christ says, I will follow. Last thing I want to teach is what we had here. We didn't get a chance to read all of this, but it said, Behold, an Israelite, in whom there's no deceit, you find him on the handy, where I told you it's worth following you. Christ knows Bartholomew inside. This internal aspect, which you never met this guy before, never saw him before, but you know what? I know your heart. There's no guile, there's no, um, there's no deceit inside this guy. You speak the truth, basically, to Christ. He goes on, um, how do you know me? He was answered before uh, Philip called you, before he came and got you. When you're under the picture, I'm sorry. So very simply, Christ knows the son outside as well. He knew where he was. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was under this fig tree. Um, probably studying God's word, hopefully. But he saw him on the outside. So just think about Christ. He knows your inside. He knows your outside. There's nothing that Christ doesn't know about. And it's a good example of that. That when we find someone that knows us on the inside, knows us on the outside, that like teacher, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. It's an amazing thing when we find God, there's all of our internals, there's all our externals, there's nothing we can hide from God, nothing we can hide from Christ. We should acknowledge and give our lives to Christ. <clears throat> so as we wrap up today's sermon, what are you seeking? Think about that for a minute. What in your life are you chasing right now? What in, the, in your life is occupying your time, your energy, your resources, Think about what Christ is offering. Come and you will see a life changing experience as we come to Christ. One that you will never be the same if you give your life to Him. Okay, let's pray. Father, we heard wise words this morning from this quote from Paul Walker, and he had to preach truth. We can be examples of the truth we preach. We must count all things as loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And we have the same view as Paul when he counted all things rubbish in the light of Christ. And we as men and women, as brothers and sisters, 
his fathers and his mothers be changed by the person of Christ. And we have the wisdom and the foresight to submit our wills to Christ. Let we put Christ first as we see him as the one that answers to every one of our emptiness, loneliness, and our need for significance. Our lives be forever changed as we put Christ in the right place as Lord and Master in our hearts. And as we do that, we find that you will take care of all the things that we're concerned about. Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ. It's in your name. Amen.